Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right. Of course, we obviously aren't on 104.3 The Fan. We are on our sister station, 1600 ESPN. Uh, we get bumped every now and then for a football game. We love coming over here to our friends with ESPN. They do a great job of hosting us. If you like the stuff you're hearing, we will be back next week at our regular time, 9 to 11 on 104.3 The Fan. So join us every week there. Let's go to the phones now. And joining us from the Blue Mesa Reservoir area, we have Andy Cochran. Good morning, Andy. Uh, good morning, Terry. How you doing today? You know, I'm doing well, and we've got kind of a mixed bag of information from Blue Mesa, and we want to. There's a lot of great opportunities, but there's also some opportunities that are waning a little bit. And I think the first thing we should address right now is the water level in the reservoir. Can you launch boats, and what's happening there? Sure. So, as everybody's kind of aware, they um, started a drawdown program from three different lakes to send some extra water down to Lake Powell. So that is one thing that's affected our water level here. Um, Today we're about 87 feet low at the lake. Um, They are going to keep pulling water out till the end of the month, but they've slowed it down. Um, So what that means for boating is that the Elk Creek boat ramp is still operational, um, can still launch a boat there. Um, everybody's best guess says we should be good to launch boats probably through next weekend. And then we might have to just call and check after that to see kind of where we're at. So we got another week or week and a half left of boating on Blue Mesa for now. And what is the boat access fishing like on Blue Mesa right now? Oh, you kind of do have to watch out for a couple of new underwater hazards, but Blue Mesa is a relatively open basin everywhere you go, so that's not too big a deal. And the couple of reefs that are sticking out, they have marked really well now. Um, Most of the fishing access is going to be from Elk Creek to the dam, everything going from Elk Creek up lake. There's really only about three miles of fishable lake left in there. so that's kind of where we're at water level wise. How about the fishing itself from a boat? So right now the fishing actually has picked up dramatically in the last three weeks. It got pretty tough there at the end of the summer with all the heat and low water. But now that things have cooled off, it's really spiked the fishing big time. Um, browns are starting to move towards the inlets to try to spawn. Um, there's lots of rainbows starting to come really shallow too and feed up for the winter. Um, and on top of that, the perch are starting to show up shallow again. They pulled off real deep there towards the end of the summer, but now they're, they're pulling up on some rocky structure that's more accessible, like 15 to 25 feet deep. So right now from a boat, you've got a ton of options to run around and fish some stuff that you wouldn't be able to fish from the bank necessarily in. What about, have actually a really good day. What about the lake trout and the salmon from a boat? We'll get to the shore in a minute. Sure. So lake trout are still deep uh, for the most part. We'll probably see them start to pull up and think about spawning here at the end of the month. So if you're coming out now with your boat looking for lake trout, you're still going to kind of be at a late summer pattern where most of the bigger fish are still going to be 80 to 120 feet deep for another couple weeks here. Um, kokanee salmon wise, um, there are so always a 
a pretty decent population of salmon that try to spawn in the lake. Um, and one of the, usually those are around like the main boat ramps or around the Bay of Chickens area. Um, so you can visually see those working the shorelines too. And then outside of that, trolling out on the main lake, you're going to be able to pick up the younger, like two and three year old salmon along with a lot of those rainbows that have moved up shallower in the water column. Now, a lot of what you've been telling us about, the fish are moving shallower and shallower, and we probably only have a week of boating left. There's salmon in the rivers. I want to talk about that. But before we do, you and I talked earlier, and we both, I think, suspect that there's not only going to be, but there is some good shoreline fishing starting now, even after the boating isn't accessible anymore, that the shoreline fishing should be really good. Yeah, this fall, and then again, as we, we'll we'll talk about ice fishing later too, but the the lake is concentrated and so are the fish there's going to be some that move up into the rivers to spawn but they typically come back to the lake so usually the peak brown trout fishing on this lake is right at ice out and then right before ice in and so we're coming right into that season right now and the way the water levels are uh the shoreline anglers are going to have a really fun time out here catching trout for sure and then when the lake trout spawn, do they become accessible from shore? They do. We've actually historically caught some of our biggest lake trout over the years from the bank. Um, those things will try to spawn in that 10-foot or less just on a gravel flat. And a lot of guys target those fish in the fall, too, with a fly rod. It's a really fun way to catch a giant fish on a fly rod, just stripping big streamers. Um, they get super aggressive towards any kind of smaller fish in their spawning area, kind of like a normal any spawning fish does. But with the lake being drawn down and so much shoreline accessible now, especially these gravel flats where these fish are going to try to spawn, um, it can be another fall where we might see several 30- and 40-pound fish caught from the bank this fall out there. What's the biggest fish that's come out of Lake uh, Blue Mesa? About 50 pounds? Yeah, the state record was caught out of here. It's been several years now, um, but, yeah, a little over 50 pounds. I mean, that think about that, folks. You live in Colorado. You take trips all over the world to catch big fish. You've got monster pike in places in Colorado. And then you've got lakes like Blue Mesa and some other lake trout lakes where you could grow fish up to 50 pounds. And even if you're not catching those big ones when they spawn, even if you can catch a number of those 16 to 22-inch fish, that's when they're good eating. You want to let the big one go, take a picture. It can still be some of the most fun fishing of your lifetime, can't it? Yeah, and we always encourage everybody to try to keep those pups. We call them those 16 to 22s just to keep our population healthy and not get too overgrown. That's probably going to be real important now that the lake's a little bit lower too, but... You're exactly right. Wonderful table fare. And as we pull into this spawning season with those fish, typically those double-digit up to 30, 40-pound fish are typically the females. And when you hook those giant fish, the males get real excited thinking she's ready to spawn while you're reeling her in. And a lot of times you'll see six, seven, ten males following that big female around, and the males get up into the 20-pound range too. So it's not uncommon if you're fishing with a buddy and somebody hooks one, get right next to them and get that opportunity to get a double on double-digit 
lake trout at the same time. It can be super fun. Oh, yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the salmon in the river. I've been hearing reports that there's a lot of salmon in the river. And to me, that's one of the great fishing opportunities in Colorado. And that does happen. Is that what's going on? Yeah, the run this year is really good. Uh, We went and visited the hatchery last weekend just to kind of check on things. They started pulling fish through the raceways and started their spawning last week. Um, They do a fish giveaway every Friday. If you have a fishing license, you can pull into the hatchery, and after they spawn those salmon, you can take them. Um, But they're encouraged by the number that had shown up already, and what we're seeing from the fishermen on the river, most of the lower Gunnison is kind of, they've all pulled through all that section of river, so now most of the salmon are between the town of Gunnison and the actual hatchery. So up towards Almont and up on the East River. And um, guys are fly fishing for them. That seems to be the easiest way to catch them is on a fly rod. You can do it on a spinning rod, but you got to keep something real low, kind of bottom contact. Bright red jigs seem to be the deal this year, but a really good, good number of fish. So we're super encouraged about our numbers going forward here. You know, and I've fished those with a fly rod, and it you're catching these fish that look like dinosaurs when they get in the spawn with the big kipe jaw, and they're mean. They're not really eating. They're just attacking, and it's so much fun. They jump, and they pull, and while you're doing it, you're liable to pick up some browns and rainbows that are in eating the eggs, too. An egg pattern is a great second fly to put on. In fact, if you go to my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there is a video with us fishing for those trout, I mean, for the salmon on flies on the channel. Last thing I want to talk to you about before we let you go, and that's where it's, I know people are thinking they don't want to talk ice fishing. It's been 70-some degrees, and it's been beautiful. But now's the time to start thinking about, especially with the lake low, where you might approach it for ice fishing, because I think Blue Mesa, with those fish concentrated, the lower water, I would think it'll freeze earlier, and it could be a just phenomenal ice season. Yeah, we've we've really geared up the bait shops and stuff here are really gearing up for a big ice season. Just like you said, it that category's been growing kind of nationwide anyways. The appeal of ice fishing, being able to get out into a big, big body of water without a boat. You can walk out there, get your four wheeler or something, opens up a ton of opportunities for people. And this is gonna be a great year for anybody to come out here and experience Blue Mesa from the ice. It's going to freeze earlier because it's not as big, so it's not going to take quite as long to freeze that whole water column. So we're probably 1st of December, we'll be on it. And from there, it's just going to be wide open bite. Lake trout, browns, rainbows, salmon, perch. This is one of the best ice fishing destinations in the whole state by far. We're a little farther away, so it doesn't get near the pressure a lot of other fisheries do, but but you're right. This winter, looking forward to it, it's going to be a fantastic ice season, and it's going to be longer ice season, too. I couldn't agree more. Andy, if people want more information from you, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. You can uh, look me up on Facebook or Instagram at GSO Fishing, or check out our website at gsofishing.com. Um, give me a call, email, text, message. We're happy to help anybody coming this way, kind of get you started somewhere to start and give a current report and help you out. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon. All right, thank you. You bet. That's Andy Cochran from GSO Fishing. Before we go, I want to remind everybody that we have our dog training question contest going on. 
where you send in a question. Go to my Facebook page. You should follow us on Facebook anyway because we have so much information about this show on Facebook. So you should follow us on Facebook. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Now, there's a post that's pinned to the top of the page about dog training questions. Where Our uh, professional trainer, Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennels, uh, next Saturday when we're back on the fan, is going to an- start answering questions you submit on the air about dog training. We already have several. We have a few on uh, on the Facebook, and we have some emails. We want more. We want because a lot of times you're going to ask the same question as somebody else. It reinforces to us how popular that is. So we need you to go to that post and give your dog training question. If you have two questions, put it in two posts, or send an email to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Gmail. But otherwise, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. It explains everything. We're going to give away two great prizes. We're going to pick a person at random that submits a question, and they're going to get to choose between a $50 gift card from Colorado Clay's shooting uh, facilities or three free oil changes. Easy for me to say. Three free oil changes at Prestige Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Longmont. So go ahead and submit those questions. You have till the 12th to get them in. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to talk to the folks at Jack's Outdoors, and we're going to get back to elk hunting on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. Speaking of Jack's, let's go to the phones. And joining us from the Loveland West Store Hunting Department is Tyler Holloway. Good morning, Tyler. Hey, Terry. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing great. And this is the time of the year. This show gets almost impossible to program because what do we talk about? The, You know, the the waterfall hunting is going on fishing is fantastic all of the big game hunting seasons are kicking off it's great hiking and wildlife watching it's hard to find time to even partake in everything but i know you are an avid elk hunter and i'll bet you've been doing a lot of scouting getting ready i have yeah ever ever since the beginning of september like you said it's just kind of one thing to the next and you know one season you know wraps up another one starts and it's like can't get enough of it right now. Good yeah. to be an outdoorsman this time of year. It really is. And we're going to talk about some of the gear you need for elk hunting. But I think before you even get into it, I know you're avid about this. I know the other uh, contributors we have on the show. How important to you is scouting for big game? Very important. You know, setting up game cameras, you know, getting to know your area well, what elevation you're going to be at, you know, getting the proper gear for that type of area is all super important. You know, one one big thing is, you know, finding out when the animals are going to be there, when they're not, you know, setting up cameras and, and getting a good idea of what the animals like to do in that certain area is, is important because they could be there one time of the year and gone the next. Well, and we're going to see some weather changes. We're coming into the first rifle season, which is elk only. And I think during that season, we're going to see some changes. And I think as we talk about the equipment, we'll probably point some of that out. But let's just say. I'm either a new hunter or a very inexperienced hunter. I'm coming into Jack's. I want, I'm going to start elk hunting this year. What's the first things I need to buy? Probably the first thing that comes to my mind is a good pair of hiking boots, being able to you know, be comfortable and stay warm and be able to get moving. Um, of course, just having warm clothing, um, the legality of it, making sure you got good orange, you know, making sure that you're not out of line there. 
um, getting good glass, getting good ammo, that sort of thing all comes to mind when I think of just being ready for the basics. Let's go through some of these uh, some of these items. I'm a huge believer in the right footwear, uh, and I know you're the hunting department, but I'm sure you're aware because you use footwear. Wrong footwear, especially footwear that doesn't fit right, can really ruin a hunt because you can develop blisters, you can't walk, you're in pain, uh, you're not comfortable. And not only that, but if you don't have the right Gore-Tex or the right insulation for the elements you're facing, you can get extremely uncomfortable. I, I'm sure Jax has a great selection. Any hunting boot that you particularly lean towards? You know, I am a huge fan of Kenetrek boots. Those are the ones that I am wearing right now as I speak. They're super comfortable. They've got a great insulation to them. They're completely 100% Gore-Tex. Some other brands that we carry here at Jack's are Irish Setters and Muck Boots, which are both also great brands. They're super reliable. They're going to take care of you out in the field, keep you dry, keep you comfortable, that sort of thing. Get them broke in. Now I, I wear them here in the store and be ready for them when you're out hiking around. Uh, that's that's great advice. Now you talked about the Hunter Orange and and uh, some things like that. If I'm coming in, you know, I'll, obviously I'm going to need warm clothing, layers, and we've covered that in the past. We won't get into too much depth on that. But you need good gloves. You need you need good clothing. But it's for legality and safety purposes. You need the orange. Do you have a good uh, a good supply of orange shells there at Jack's? We do, yes. We have tons of different options for folks that like a little bit fancier orange. It's all orange in my eyes. But um, you got to wear an orange ball cap and you got to wear an orange vest. And a lot of folks don't know this in Colorado. Make sure it's not a camo orange. It needs to be a blaze orange, solid orange is the, is the law. You know, even if you're not hunting out in the woods, you should be wearing blaze orange if you're out there during the season, yeah. shouldn't you? Yeah, when you're hiking around and, you know, you're moving around, especially on public property, it is, of course, the law. But also, I, I don't feel like turning a, a bad hunt into a – or turning a good hunt into a bad hunt, if you know what I mean. So just wear the orange and, you know, the animals aren't going to bust you too bad, I don't think. Now, I want to get to uh, uh, rifles and op- optics and things in a minute, but there's one thing that always comes up this time of the year. People who – should I start calling? Do I need a call? Can I learn one in time? Now, I talked to somebody earlier in the show who said right now the elk are still very vocal. They're finishing up the rut. This cold front might change that. They expect after a couple days into the next rifle season that you probably shouldn't even be calling, much less wondering if you should. But where do you do you have a good supply of calls, and what kind of recommendations do you give people? We have tons of different calls here at Jack's. We have hunter specialties. My favorite is Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. They come out and they've sponsored their own different types of calls. Those are the ones that I use out in the field. And you're absolutely right. You know, find getting into elk, which you can find them talking, even if you're not bugling, if you just do a little bit of cow calling. We have the, the typical um, Primos uh, stuff as well that works fantastic. Um, the Hoochie Mama is kind of like the golden golden call. If you're looking for the basic and you're not good, you know, using a diaphragm call, you push a button and it makes a sound. And we have plenty of them on our shelves here at Jack. You know, getting in and, you know, just doing a little bit of cow calling can turn turn the tides a little bit. And, right, I think as we get into the rut winding down, I think over-calling is worse than not calling at all. Yes, exactly. Knowing when to be quiet and just letting the elk come to you. A lot of times I get busted because I'm calling, 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 and then I don't think an elk is coming, and then it comes in quiet. And so just because you're not hearing them talk doesn't mean that they're not, you know, you know replicating it and, you know, wanting to come in. So knowing when to be quiet, knowing when to call, 
you know, is, is very important. It just kind of takes a little bit of practice and, and learning elk behavior. Now, of course, if you're going to go elk hunting, you're going to need a rifle. And I understand you guys are really well stocked with big game rifles right now. We are, yes. Yep, we've got plenty of rifles on, on the shelf right now as we speak. Got sales associates working on stuff like that today. So it, it's fun to, to get people out and get them their first rifle here at Jets. So what, what do you recommend and what kind of price ranges are we looking at? You know, it, it, it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it depends a lot on the hunter, but I would recommend anything from a, a 270 win, a 30-06, a 7 mag, 300. Those are kind of the bread and butters of, of elk hunting calibers. Um, they're all great calibers. We've got lots of different brands and different styles to choose from here at Jack's between Ruger, Winchester. Um, you know, we have Benelli as far as shotguns, you know, waterfowl later this year. Um, all kinds of different stuff, but you're kind of looking price range. You're probably looking at, uh, I don't know, probably four to the six, seven hundred dollar range. Not too bad for your starter out rifle. And is that a bolt action typically? Is that what you recommend for the beginning hunter? I think yeah. that's what I would recommend. Yeah, yeah, bolt action for all for all these guys. So you know, five the, rounds, so four plus one. The bolt action, the reliability, and the efficiency of them the and their even the accuracy and the fact that they're they're safe and easy to use to me is always and, and for all my years that's what i hunted with most of the time even when i had been doing it for years i just felt that the semis first they got a little expensive but second of all i'm older than dirt and back when i was doing a lot more yeah. of it the they weren't that reliable and i know they've gotten better and you can get some really great but the, I think a bolt-action rifle, and the thing that you can get started, but you got to have good optics on it, too, a scope. Sometimes it's more important to have a good scope than a good rifle. Now, you need both, but what about scopes? How are you How are you there? Well, we're doing great on scopes. We just got a new shipment in this last week. We carry Vortex and loophole optics here at, here at Jack's. Um, I recommend a lot of them. I use Vortex personally. Uh, they go anywhere from the Crossfire, the Diamondback, the Viper, or the Razor different magnifications on them they're all fantastic the loophole stuff that i've I've got reports on are, are fantastic glass you know being able to have something that you can look into the sun and build a you know see a target well like you said you almost need to you know find a better optic than the, the rifle you know it's kind of a which one's more important sort of thing but they're, they're both you know very very necessary when out elk hunting now what what, what am i going to spend for a scope typically Typically, you're going to look, I mean, for, for the Crossfire up to the, you know, Razor, it does get more expensive, you know, the more quality you go up. But, I mean, you could get away with two, $300 for a Crossfire or a Diamondback, or you could go a little bit more expensive and get a little bit nicer glass, better magnification with a Viper or a Razor. So, so you're looking at probably six, seven, eight hundred $800 for the Viper or the Razor. So starting out, I can probably get into a rifle and scope from about six, seven hundred dollars to well over a thousand. But you can help somebody pick out something in their budget that really works, right? Oh, oh yeah, and that's kind of the nice thing about us here at Jacks is we really try to help folks out and get them out in the outdoors. You know, we're we're trying to get you out there, and I'll, I'll give you as many pointers as we can, and and try and help the pocketbook out a little bit too, if you know what I mean. Now, if you're buying a new rifle, a new scope, either or or both. Do you help people get those bore sighted or on paper? I mean, I know you can't fire them in your store, but you can sure give them a head start. Yeah, if only. Yeah, we, we do a lot of our bore sighting here in store. So bring your rifle on in. We'll get a bore sighted for you, get you on paper. And then if you have any questions after putting a couple rounds through, we are always here ready to help here at Jack. If you come in and say, hey, something's not working right, we'll take a look at it, give you a couple pointers. 
um, get you out there, and hopefully we can get some animals on the ground. Now, I want to, one last question. We're going to run out of time here in a minute or two, but I want to extend it because we got extra time. We'll give Ronnie, Ronnie's waiting to talk fishing with us, but he'll wait an extra minute. I'll give him plenty of time. And that's the other optics. We talked about scopes, but what about, you know, spotting scopes, binoculars, range finders? What do you need? What don't you need? And what am I going to, what should I be looking at? I would say the half two would probably be the binoculars, you know, having something handy that you can quick, you know, 90% of what you're going to be looking through is your, your binoculars, your rifle scope. You should pull up when you're looking at an actual target, when you're ready to get ready to shoot binoculars, you're looking over stuff, you know, you're moving time to time. Is that a rock, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's just, you're kind of using it throughout the whole day. Body scopes are great. They're, they're fantastic. You can get a good, you know, view at something a long ways away. But it's one of them things that they're really nice to have. They're really pricey. If you can afford one and you don't mind carrying the weight, great. If not, the binoculars, by all means, I would say is the most important out of those those options there, as well as range finders. I mean, range finder is going to help you be a little bit more precise. You know, guessing a range is, is kind of tough sometimes. So, you know, having, you know, a range finder that you can kind of get a little bit more precise on. We carry two different types of range finders in Vortex. We carry the Impact and the Ranger. I carry the Ranger personally, and it's fantastic. You're looking at about $400 for the range finder, so not nearly as bad as some of the other optics. But um, it's just kind of the, the binoculars is what I would recommend the most of there. Tyler, we are out of time, but real quick, a lot of people have been getting ready for waterfall and upland game, and they're having trouble finding ammunition. I heard a rumor that Jax has a lot of shotgun ammunition. We do, yeah. We have quite a bit of shotgun shells on on the shelf right now, especially lead shot getting ready for pheasant season. I know dove season's going on right now. Waterfowl stuff, we're getting in all the time, 12-gauge steel. It's going to be a good season, I think. All right, my friend, if people want to talk to you you, you more, you're at the Loveland West store, which is kind of as you're heading out of town in Loveland and it used to be an old Kmart. You guys have totally remodeled it. If people haven't stopped by, they need to stop by and say hi. Thank you, Tyler. Of course, Terry. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Tyler Holloway from Jack's Outdoor Gear. Great, great resource. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Ronnie Castiglione is going to talk, call us, and he sent me a message. He was going to talk about crankbaits. He'll probably still do that, but he was out on Boyd, and he said, we got to talk about it. The fishing is fantastic. All that more coming up on Terry Wisham Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. Normally, you'll find us over on 104.3 The Fan from 9 to 11. Occasionally, we get welcomed over to our sister station at ESPN, and when we do, we're usually on from 10 to noon. So join us on either station when we're on. Let's go to the phones, and joining us, one of our favorite contributors, he's been both a contributor and a fill-in host on this show for many, many years, Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Mr. Terry Wickstrom. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, and I got my phone set up as a little clock here, and a little headline came through. He said, <laughs> let's change the topic. I went to Boyd, and I think you said you slammed him or something, so I said, fine with me. So what's happening at Boyd Reservoir? Well, you, you know, Terry, it's it's not just a Boyd Reservoir thing that I wanted to bring up. However, we did go to Boyd last night, and we absolutely crushed the fish. I, you know, Ronnie, i got to interrupt you. My phone, hap- I must have missed the phone call to join you. 
<laughs> it was a last-minute decision, Terry, and I figured you were already into a couple glasses of wine by then. You're probably but, right. <laughs> um, we got out, and, you know, it really just brought up a, something to mind that I, that I thought I should bring up when I was going to call in today, and it really has to do with the fact that, you know, we've been talking a lot about getting out and fishing deep and fishing suspended fish, and we all kind of have that, that jig and spoon, uh, blade bait, and jig and wrap bite on the brain, that kind of a thing, and, and that's definitely in our future here Terry, but but right now, right here for the next couple of weeks and you know, maybe into November a little bit, there's an opportunity to get out and really hammer a lot of fish shallow, Terry. And I when I say shallow, I mean really, really shallow a lot of times this year, Terry. Um Boyd, for example, last night we got out water temperatures were still in the high sixties when we launched. And I thought to myself, you know, these fish are going to be shallow right now today. And they were, Terry. We caught a variety of species, and I don't think we caught any of them any deeper than about two feet deep, Terry. Um, They were all pushed up to the bank. They were all pushed up to the remaining grass lines that are around the lake. And that's kind of a standard pattern that we see on a lake like Boyd this time of year. Uh, The water's falling out of the lake a little bit, and there is quite a bit of submerged grass that's still in the lake. Um, all the species were up in that stuff yesterday, yesterday, Terry, we, we caught large mouth, we caught small mouth, we caught walleye, we caught a huge number of large white bass that were up buried in the grass. Uh, we caught perch as well, Terry. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, let the listeners know that even though that deeper bite is starting to get going on a lot of bodies of water, you know, why these water temperatures stay above that, let's say 58, 56 degree point, um, there's a shallow opportunity to get out and really hammer a lot of fish, Terry. So what type of techniques did you use to approach them? Now, you can't really use your electronics to find fish when they're that shallow, so you've got to kind of, in your mind, know the type of stru- structure and cover you're looking for, and you kind of describe that. But then you need what techniques? How did you approach them? But definitely a, a reaction-style presentation, Terry. We caught them on probably a half a dizen different things last night. Um, spinner baits are outstanding when you're fishing in and around any grass lines. Chatter baits can be also a really good presentation. Swim baits that are rigged weedless can also come through that grass and, and really get a lot of bites as well. Uh, these fish were very, very active, and so they were coming up and blasting on top as well. So walking baits can be very effective. We had fish absolutely grenading baits like choppos and whopper ploppers, things like that. Um, they're really, you know, they're all about chasing bait. They're all about eating little fish this time of year. And sometimes those little fish get blown up to the bank or, you know, in this particular scenario, we were blasting a whole bunch of fish on this one grass line, and we also noticed that there were a zillion tiny little bass and tiny little perch that were also in that grass line. So I suspect that a good number of the larger predators that we were getting action from were there targeting those little perch and maybe even those little largemouth. Um, so it, it's it's really a reaction-style deal. You, do, you don't want to slow down and drag things. It wasn't a punching bite. It wasn't anything like that. It was throw something up there rip it over the top of the grass lines, get to that outer edge and kind of let it fall. Or if it's a walking bait, just rip it off those grass surfaces and just kind of keep on working them. Um, you know, we figured it out real fast, Terry. And once I figured out that all the species were up in that stuff, it, it just really became a beat down. And, and that can happen a lot this time of year, Terry. So let's just not ignore that. You know, that shallow bite, that three to even about one foot deep, that's the same way this time of year when we head up into the mountains that we catch a lot of the fish up in North Park. So, you know, fish like those big brown trout and those big bows that we talk about up there, 
uh, three feet and shallower is a lot of times where we get our best action and a lot of times where we see the big fish, Terry. Now, if a lot of we get questions every week was we talk a lot about fishing out of boats. We're all fortunate. We have big, expensive boats, and we get sponsors and things like that. But we always get questions about shore fishing. And everything you've told me right now tells me that this bite is probably accessible from shore. Or is there too much cover and weeds in the way? Can I fish it from shore? And what would I look for from shore? A hundred percent you can fish it from shore, Terry. Um, on a lake like Boyd, for example, you know, you're just really looking for anywhere that you see a little bit darker water off the bank. Um, polarized glasses are going to be a key and getting there, especially during the week when there's not a lot of boat traffic, the water is going to be fairly clear. If you get out there on a, on a Saturday evening, the water might be, have gotten stirred up from a little bit of the boat traffic and it may be a little more difficult to spot those uh, weed beds that are still in the water. But if you're out there during the week, uh, early in the morning, or, you know, pretty much all through the day, once the sun gets up, you can spot that darker water that's just off the bank. That tends to be the submerged grass line areas. And you could absolutely catch these fish from the shore, Terry. I, I mean, the majority of them that we caught were within five to ten feet of the bank where you would be standing so it would be about getting out and and a lot of times truthfully when the fish are this shallow on a lake like Boyd or even when you go up to North Delaney or South Delaney or things like that a lot of times being on the shore can be an advantage when those fish are super shallow like that Um, you're not going to be in a boat that's going to be spooking these shallow, shallow fish uh, if the wind blows, you know, you're fighting your trolling motor, you're stirring up mud, and that can definitely uh, clue these fish in. But from the shore, you can be a lot quieter. You can be a lot more controlled in your cast because you're not fighting the, the waves and the wakes and that kind of a thing. And and when the fish are shallow, um, it can be a lot of fun, Terry. Chad's filled a whole bunch of shows up in North Park doing that same kind of thing. And some of his best sores, he was standing, you know, knee-deep on the bank sort of a deal, Terry. So this just uh, not ignore the, the shallow bite here for the next few weeks. All right, Ronnie. So we got a few minutes left. You were going to talk about crankbaits. Do you want to go on and talk about rigging for the kind of fishing you were doing last night? Or do you want to talk about rigging crankbaits a little bit? You know, we can we can do a little bit of both, Terry, because the crankbait bite is also an excellent bite this time of year. And don't ignore the shallow too deep, you know, as far as the crankbaits go. So on any given day, you know, something like a square bill that's going to run maybe one to three feet deep can be very effective shallow. A lake like Horsetooth, for example, that has a lot of riprap and a lot of rock and a lot of gravel and stuff like that. Um, once the wind starts blowing against the bank or you start to get a little boat traffic that sort of dirties that water just slightly, that crankbait bite can be very, very good, very shallow. And then a lot of times as the water starts to get a little bit colder, those fish tend to slide out, and then we start transitioning to more of the deeper diving crankbaits that are going to work their way all the way down to maybe 16 feet deep or so on a long cast. Um, All of those things can be very effective and, you know, rigging for that sort of deal, Terry, it, it, it's, you know, for me, when I'm, when I'm out cranking, I, I really prefer u- utilizing straight fluorocarbon on my presentations, uh, something in that 10 to 12-pound test, maybe, a, you know, a 7 to 7-foot, seven 6-inch rod. Um, and that's usually on conventional gear for me or casting gear. Now, when I'm with my clients and that sort of thing, a lot of times they're not real proficient with casting gear. So I'll rig their presentations on a spinning rod, something like a seven or seven foot two spinning rod. 
and we're going to run braid on that sort of a thing with a fluorocarbon leader just so that they can make real long cast and get those baits down. I'll tell you, in the fall, maybe more so than any times a year, that reaction bite is going to be key, Terry, in grinding those crankbaits and getting them to deflect off of some of those deeper rocks, some of that deeper gravel. A lot of times is going to be the difference between getting bites and not getting bites. So you want to have a presentation that you can get down and really hit the cover that you're fishing over the top over, the structure you're fishing over the top of, and you want to be able to make real long casts to accomplish that, Terry. So that's kind of how I go about it. And a lot of times on horse tooth, for example, even as the water gets colder down into the low 50s, uh, we may start the morning off on those deeper fish, fishing the jigging wraps and fishing the blade baits and things like that. But inevitably, that bite tends to kind of fall off at about 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. A lot of times I slide right over to the closest pieces of structure that are around the areas I was catching the deeper fish, and I grind those crankbaits off that deeper structure. And a lot of times I catch my bigger fish doing that, Terry. So that's kind of how we go about it this time of year. All right. We're almost out of time, but 30 seconds. If... If this cold front comes in, we probably got tomorrow and Monday. It's pretty reasonable. Then we get a couple of days in the 50s with some pretty low lows. Is that going to move those shallow fish at all? Maybe for a day or two, Terry, but, you know, the water temperatures are still relatively high. So if we're looking at mid to upper 60s on a lake like Horsetooth or a lake like Boyd, it's going to take a lot more than just a couple days of cold weather to drop that, you know, 10 degrees or so. Um, It may shut the fish off on, you know, right when it gets really cold, but pre-cold front, the fishing can be phenomenal. And then it may take a day or two of some sunshine just to warm that shallow water back up. Those fish are going to move back up a lot of times. On Boyd, for example, it's not really until all that shallow grass dies off that we see that bite go away. So I don't suspect this cold front will really shut that bite off. Um, so, you know, I would definitely take a look at it and fish, fish to conditions on any given day. But uh, the shallow bite should play for the next few weeks. All right, my friend, we're out of time, but thank you. That's great firsthand information. That's what we love when our contributors have, are on in the field or just got off the field and up-to-date information. Thanks, Ronnie. All right, buddy. You have a good one. You bet, Ronnie Castiglione. Great, great information. We're going to take a timeout, and we come back. We're going to wrap things up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. Okay, we definitely got to let this play a little bit. This is James Taylor. I'm actually going to New Orleans to see him and Jackson Brown next weekend. They let me know you Get me all pumped gone. up here, Michael. Suzanne, the plans they made. All right, we better pay attention to what we're supposed to be doing. We'll play too much of that and they want to charge us a royalty. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. Normally, you'll catch us from 9 to 11 on 104.3 The Fan, and we will be back there uh, the next few weeks. I know we got another game or two in November where we'll bop over here to our sister station, ESPN, who graciously provides us time. If you caught this show for the first time since we're over on ESPN and you like the kind of content, fishing, hunting, camping, hiking, everything outdoors, we really cover it all. Colorado State Parks does a couple segments. So if you've listened to parts of this and you like it, Join us every Saturday from 9 to 11 over on 104.3 The Fan. Also, you can always listen online, whether on The Fan or ESPN. They're both available. If you go to the uh, 104.3thefan.com website, uh, both stations come up as streaming on there, and we also have an app. 
But join us, in, and then we also podcast everything. You can go back months and weeks by going to my page, 104.3 The Fan, and listening to podcasts, and they're all kind of labeled about who we were talking to. You can listen to the podcast as individual interview segments, or you can listen by the hours. So, you know, if you think there's something you're interested in, give us a listen. I think you're gonna, if you're an outdoor enthusiast, you're going to have a lot of fun. I want to reiterate again about our dog training contest we're having. Our professional dog trainer from Hideaway Kennels, Ben Garcia, trains hunting dogs. He wants to he wants to answer questions on the air. So we've had a little period where you can enter questions. There's two ways you can send us your question for Ben. And one is to go to my Facebook page, which is Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. You should follow that anyway. We're, we put podcasts from the show up there. We put important upcoming interviews. We do contest information. We do trivia information, fishing reports, live on the water reports, so much we do. If you want to know what's going on in this uh, show, you should follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. But there's a post pinned to the top of the page right now, and it explains the dog fishing contest, and it pretty much says, in the comments, give us your dog training question. And if you have more than one question, make it as two comments, okay? And Ben is going to start next Saturday answering those questions on the air as many as he can. Now, out of you can also, if you don't have Facebook, you can email your dog training question to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at gmail.com. And, and all of the comments, all of the questions, whether they're on email or a comment, are going to come in. And we're going to do a random drawing from those entries. And we have two prizes to choose from. And you get to choose from either of the two. You get a $50 gift card from uh, Colorado Clays to use at any of their facilities, whether it's sporting clays, skeet, trap, uh the rifle or pistol range, whatever it is, you can apply that to it. And you get a lot of value at Colorado Clays for 50 bucks. trust me. If you don't want that, the other option is going to be a, a, a certificate for three free oil changes that you use over two years at uh, Prestige Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Longmont. And this is over $100 value. This is an oil change. I get my car serviced there all the time. This is an oil change with synthetic oil. That's done by certified technicians. It's the complete service thing. And this package is good for one vehicle over two years for three oil changes. And it's fantastic. It's just unbelievable. This is like a $100 value, which in itself, you can buy that package on sale for that a lot of times, is very inexpensive for what you get. It's everything you pay 50, 60 bucks for at a lot of these franchise places. And it gets done by a certified pro. So get your dog training questions. I don't care what the questions are. We're going to try to answer as many as we can. It'll put you in the drawing and it gives us some feedback on the kind of stuff you really wonder about in dog training that Ben can help you with. So make sure you do that. Now I want to talk a little bit about the fishing and hunting opportunities we covered on the show today. We're headed for some cold weather. We've had unseasonably warm weather. It's been beautiful, but that's going to change a little bit. It's going to cool off a little bit the next few days, and then we're going to get two significantly cooler days in the middle of the week. Then it's supposed to warm back up by next weekend, I think, or right after that, we're getting back to the 70s, which is pretty seasonal. What that cool weather change is going to do, if you watch the behavior of animals, I don't care care whether it's birds at your bird feeder it's squirrels running around your yard. If you have a fish tank in your house, when the pressure changes, 
It affects all the animals, all the game, all the fish this time of year. It's going to change their behavior. A lot of animals are in the rut. They're spawning. It's going to change their behavior. The fish prior to this front are going to get super active. But unlike the spring, they're not going to get shut down. They're just going to get more into a fall feeding pattern. So the next couple weeks are going to present some incredible fishing opportunities. You need to really get out and take advantage of those. So just pay attention to that. Watch the conditions. But the important thing is get outside. It's a beautiful time to be outside, and there's so much to do. We're going to wrap things up on Terry Works from Outdoors. Remember, join us almost every Saturday from 9 to 11 on 1043 The Fan. And when we're not there, then we're over here on ESPN from 10 to noon. And so every day, every weekend with your outdoor information, we'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in ESPN Sports on 1600 ESPN.